Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. We're recording today's episode on Monday, the 29th of June. And we're going to focus today on the June rent quarter and the state of landlord-tenant relations. And that's really against the backdrop of one of the largest UK shopping centre owners having gone into administration on Friday. And also the controversial administration of Go Outdoors, owned by JD Sports, that was put into administration and then almost immediately brought back by JD Sports. Um, And it seems that the key driver there was to, to renegotiate with landlords. And this topic follows pretty neatly on from our last episode on the Grimsey Review, which examined the question about the future of the high street and what the review dubbed a post-retail landscape. Now, I note that Boris Johnson seems to have borrowed your build back better tagline (laughs) in his radio interview this morning, um, Nick. So I think it might be worth, just before we dive into the detail of of the new um, subject matter, if you could reflect a bit on the reception that the Grimsey Review has had just about a week on after its release. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, The... Um, you're always very hesitant when you when you put out a review like this um, because for a lot of people what we're recommending is is frankly a revolution. Um, we're talking to some fairly um, stuck in the mud uh, uh, chief executives at local authorities. But what has been interesting is that there's no doubting that the reaction has been. But there's both been more in terms of of quantity of reaction and the vividness of it. And I think, as we suspected when we decided to do the review, we're tapping into a moment in time when people are desperate for some guidance about what on earth is going to happen uh, next. Mm-hmm. And so we've had a great um, reaction, particularly from uh, this strange world that um, maybe some of our listeners won't quite understand. But this is this is the world of the placemaker. The people. Yeah, no, what in. is that? You've had to explain this to me because <laughs> <laughs> it's a new one on me. Well, what, what you have in a lot of you know, used to be town centre managers, used to be departments within um, local authorities. But what we now have in the more innovative ones are people, whole teams who are responsible for turning the town centre or the high street into city centre in some cases, into more interesting places and to, and to do exactly what we've been recommending now since 2013 with the Grimsey Review, which is to stop it being a retail led location and making it much more of a community hub. And these people are called placemakers and they love the report. They they love the report. And uh, we had one wonderful response from a particularly um, senior person in this community who said, uh, who put on Twitter, um, I never ever uh, recommend that people read, uh, nor do I ever agree with everything in any report unless I've written it. But I do in this case. Oh wow! What an interesting. So it was lovely. Uh, yeah. But of course, the trick is we've had to you know, a couple of weeks of of the initial reaction. The trick now is what happens next, and we have to get local authorities, all sorts of local communities involved, on a terribly piecemeal basis. I mean, Bill Grimsey and the team will be running around the UK um, like the proverbial for the next two years or so, talking, uh, you know, it, trying to just um, inspire people. 
to not just that isn't it it's inspiring to action showing and actually that's what's so nice about the review and again if you haven't um looked at it i I really recommend reading the intro and and looking at some of those case studies i think there are about 70 case studies at the back and they really are pretty inspiring they are it's great stuff and in fact um which you don't know joe which you're going to get later later on this afternoon there is now a podcast oh um, that's it of from by the authors um talking about their particular hobby horses um so that is a good intro to the you can dip in and out it's yeah. sort of five minutes from each of us but it's a good intro before you read the report if you don't have time to go and read the whole thing at, at, at first blush so Better quite time. pleased so far early days good. good yeah i think that's the thing i will we'll certainly be checking back um with this and and it's action is is the the watchword isn't it but it seems it to is. be if there's ever a time that that things actually might change i think we're in in those times now aren't we we can only hope yeah so let's turn so from looking at that that hopefully positive um, future state. Um, I think we need to kind of turn back to the realities of, of perhaps not quite so positive news um, in the in the current. And as most people will know, it was Rankwater Day, um, which fell on the twenty fourth of June, so that's last Wednesday, and that's uh, the day traditionally when rents have been um, owed. Yeah, quarterly in advance. Yeah. The previous quarter day was the twenty fifth of March, so just at the point at which the UK went into lockdown. And it was a failure of, of many tenants to pay on that day that led to that confrontation that we, we talked about in the early days of this yes. podcast, um, the confrontation between tenants and landlords, and then the government basically taking the side of, of tenants and um, stopping those m- measures that landlords would normally take to enforce their um, sure. their rents. And originally that was that was due to end on the 30th of June. And we know that's now been extended until the 30th of, of September. And in, in March, the figures for rental collection were up 50% of what was owed. And um, we haven't got figures at the moment for the June quarter, but predictions were leisure hospitality around 20% and retail around 30% and anything so more than 50% overall is... Yes, I mean, something, something, something like that. I mean, the, the difficulty, um, there was a lot of screaming headlines on quarter day um, mm. last week saying... Oh my God! It's it's Armageddon. We've, they've only landlords have collected thirteen percent of what they were owed, but of course, what has happened? It was going on long before the pandemic, but it's been accelerated uh, by by COVID. Um, more and more tenants are now paying not quarterly in advance on this artificial medieval quarter day, mm-hmm. but they're paying monthly in advance on the first day of the month. So. You know, much of this income will now come in 1st of July, 1st of August, 1st of September. And I think until you begin to get into, until you get the the figures after the August um, payments, I don't think we'll have a clear view and we may not really know until we see what's happening in September. Right. Okay. So that is that was one question I was going to ask you. Actually, was with whether this is the right stat. So it's what do we think? It's it's useful to be aware of, but actually, probably the the really screaming headlines and maybe a little bit um, yeah. sensational. And and really, we do, we need to look a little bit further down the the line about what's really going on. Yes, I think I think the only good thing that comes out of that focus point on on quarter day is it 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 uh, it drags certain brand name retailers. Out into out from the, the the shadows at the back of the stage and puts them in the spotlight at the front. And I'm thinking here about the ones who demonstrably can pay, but won't pay their rent. Mm-hmm. And and as you probably are well aware, I'm 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 being extremely critical of these people because they are at least 
in part uh, the instrument of of Intu's failure. I mean, Intu's problems go back way before this pandemic. Um, the pandemic and the and the and the rent collection issues. Frankly, it's the classic straw on the camel's mm-hmm. back. You know, this business was probably broken before, and um, it's just that people who don't pay their rent when they can, who are still trading, um, or who manifestly are you know the uh, we're going to talk about um jd sports and, and go outdoors and and we can talk about this more when we get there but you know there is a responsibility it's a, you know the, this is a, a sort of commercial contract you know, i'm yeah. thinking in lines of a social contract a commercial contract and if you don't pay the landlords everybody thinks that not paying your rent is a victimless okay. crime but it's not because they have lenders who can bring you down as this as, as, as has happened within two and behind uh, lenders there are shareholders behind the landlords there are shareholders and there are that calculation we've quoted I think a couple of times now um, that one way or another 60 percent of the retail property market eventually is owned by individuals through pension funds yeah. through real estate through investment trusts through local authorities mm. through charities yeah. charities own big chunks of property and and so it's all very well you know saying oh we're going to we're going to massage our cash flow because we can get away with it and the government has taken away uh, all the landlords tools but it actually um without being put too fine a point on it it ain't clever and yeah. it may come back to bite them and we'll talk about that um, um now what we've uh, what we've done, Joe, as you know, is I was asked last week by a national newspaper to talk about Intu's collapse, um, or more particularly to do some research um, into it. And what I've done is to use the company watch system to analyse the finances of the twenty four biggest landlords, commercial landlords, not residential commercial yep. landlords. It covers the whole spectrum. You know, some commercial, some retail. Uh, hospitality um, and some in the office space, and and it's quite interesting. Into into stands out um, as as the poster child of how not to run a property company in in, in the current world. Um, and they were by far the weakest, weren't they? Before you know, if we think pre um, COVID, well, pre COVID, well, you know the, the the you see the problem is we come back to this thing again. We've talked about it before. Um, property companies are strong superficially because they've got asset rich balance sheets property you know, rich balance sheets you know, they're valued on a sort of hypothetical basis on, on a regular basis they change hands on a regular basis you know, it, it's all fine until the rent base starts to erode and it's interesting that into in their last accounts up to december last year the value of their property portfolio portfolio had dropped by 2.3 billion pounds which was 25 percent simply because they weren't collecting as much rent and and so what you get suddenly is you flip um a property company's balance sheet from being strong on property uh, you know, lots of collateral for a lender a good healthy position everybody's happy and suddenly you take away the rent base and it, it looks more and more like mm. it's built on, on sand. And it's interesting, if you look at these figures, which I think you said you hoped you could... Yeah, we're trying to tidy that. It's They're kind of rough and ready at the moment. We're trying to tidy <coughs> them up um, and, and have a little <coughs> sheet available. Yeah, but well, it's very interesting that, not to name names, not to predict any, any disasters, but the, <coughs> the most obvious f- um, comparison to Intune 
is Hammerson. Hammerson, big retail landlord. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you did some some research, didn't you, Joe? if you could just... Yeah, we looked, I mean, just this morning, um, Hammerson <coughs> is the, the most shorted um, share. The FCA published a, a list of short um, short positions and Hammerson is at the top of that list. And, and you know, of course, our COVID score, we, we, we released in um, the middle of April a kind of COVID score prediction to try and help people understand what the risks might look like with this, with this big shock to the economy. Um, and there, Hammerson, I think pre-COVID, um, it had a score of about 34. So 34. out of the water warning area, not brilliant, but, you know, out of our warning area. And the COVID score um, sent that down to three yeah. on the basis of the, um, of the, you know, not being able to collect rent, mm-hmm. having to do these revaluations of the property portfolio based, based on the fact that the rent wasn't coming through. So clearly those, those, there are some vulnerable um, landlords out there to this kind of shock, as you say. And 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 you see, if you look at Hammerson, if you if you take their December, you know, the latest figures we have is December or December two thousand eighteen, mm. and even those showed a drop of eighteen percent in the property value, uh, the portfolio value. You know, if the rent dropped twenty percent in two thousand nineteen, then another one and a half billion has come off that balance sheet. At December 19, 19 before the pandemic, yeah. you lose another 20%, you know, and you can see this is the, the classic downward spiral where value is just evaporating. And that's then makes the lenders nervous. Um, Hammerson's nowhere near as, as heavily indebted as, as Intu was, so no, not nearly as much at risk. But there comes a point where, you know, one of the questions I keep coming back to when I look at this whole landlord-tenant um, row is... At what point do lenders start to lose an appetite for supporting the sector? Because banks do this, yeah. and other lenders do this. They get to a point where, you know, they um, they cast around, they review sectors on a regular basis. And you know, I've known many, many twenty odd years ago, a major high street bank say to me, um, in the context of doing some research to help them to make a decision. Well, we're thinking of pulling out of supporting the construction sector. To which my response was, are you absolutely sure that you think this is a good idea? And, and after a lot of discussion, they chose to moderate their risk appetite, but not to mm. not to go away from it altogether. But that's where it started, doesn't it? I think that's the point is yep. if you see a st- sector that's really struggling, the instinct is, OK, well, we need to pull out. And then you may, you may get a, a moderated position. But actually, if, that, if that's where the, the thought is, this is suddenly a risky yep. proposition. And is that is the money there to actually carry on backing? Yeah, you see, you see, it's very interesting, Joe, because you know we've got into on the market seventeen shopping centres, uh, Lakeside and uh, the Trafford Centre in Manchester will sell without too much difficulty, and the other fifteen, I'm not sure. And the problem you've got is because the value of a shopping centre is at the moment seen as a multiple of the rent. How do you know, looking from this position right now, what the rent income off of any of these other 15 into centres is going to be for the rest of this mm. year. How do you know what it's going to be for 2021 and beyond? Well, I mean, that actually, be. I mean, that brings us actually quite neatly to the, the, the situation with Go Outdoors. Because, Absolutely. you know, you've got, you may have tenants in there who you think are, are going to be um, rent payers. But actually, if, if, if these big structures, and let's, let's face it, lots of retailers are often part of more complex um, yes. structure where, you know, their yep. own brands and, and, and so on. Um, and 
you know, you you should explain this better than I do, but it, it seems from what I understand is that that Go Outdoors was sent into administration purely to up the landlords. Up the landlords. No, no, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong about this. Um, and I was an insolvency practitioner for 23 years and um, I was probably involved in a certain amount of abusing of certain of creditors from time to time in trying to do a rescue um, uh, of a company. And sometimes it, it, there's nothing wrong with, a, with, with forcing uh, a, a creditor or a group of creditors into a compromise um, because they either won't see the reality um, or won't negotiate or whatever the reason is. So mm-hmm. there are insolvency processes there designed to allow... Um, uh, pressure to be applied to creditors. And in the retail and the property space, you know, we've had a succession of of, um, awkward questions being asked about the use of CVAs to cram down rents. You know, again, there have been um, a number of major retailers have used CVAs simply for the process of renegotiating their leases. Yeah. End of. This is a different matter. I described the go outdoors thing on Twitter last week when I when I heard about it as the most completely legal piece of utter abuse of insolvency process I've ever seen. And you know, that's strong words, and I yeah. was cross about it. But I think people, you know, um, uh, retail companies, you know, go outdoors is part of an extremely large extremely affluent and extremely successful group yeah it's not name names because you know it's it's just symptomatic of attitudes at the moment mm. and i suppose in a, in a in a in a better world what would happen with a troubled subsidiary like go outdoors would be that you know the group would say don't like looking at this business you know and i'm sure they've tried to sell it if they can't sell it then what you do is you say okay um we need to have adult conversations with the creditors and maybe we just need to close the thing down pay everybody off and then maybe we look for a new model a new way of running this business what i don't think you can do is to use an insolvency process to shaft a specific group of creditors Legally, of course you can. Morally, uh-uh. And, I've got to and ask questions, particularly in, particularly in the situation we are at the, the moment. And, yeah. you know, if this becomes a model for, for, for businesses to say, well, okay, that it worked and actually, you know, hasn't the, the, the downsides haven't really been that bad in, in, in reputational terms or, or however yeah. else you might judge it. And that's, that is very bad news, I think. For, it's um, extremely bad news because, because you need a CVA system and you need prepacks for all the sniffiness about them and the abuse of them. It is an essential tool in certain circumstances, the only way you rescue some businesses. Mm. So, um, you know, everybody better be aware of, of, of what they wish for here because I can see as a result of this, and I'm sure there'll be more after going outdoors, uh, then sooner or later, somebody somewhere is going to say, hang on a minute, this is not an acceptable way of of dealing with business rescue issues. And we may find ourselves without a prepack procedure or with the sort of prepack procedure that doesn't work. And then good businesses that could be rescued through it will fail. Yeah. And I think we've seen, you know, to a degree with the protection of tenants against landlords, we've seen that a government with an 80 seat majority in the middle of a crisis can actually act. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and not always, you know, I think with, with that, the, the corporate insolvency bill, of course, that was quite a lot of, of, um, of measures that have been consulted on. So they were fairly well thought out. And the problem is if you, if you suddenly do a knee jerk reaction to fix a, a problem, and invariably those don't really work in the way that they are intended to, to work. And I think that's a danger here, isn't it? Is that tightrope between a system that works with a few question marks around the edges to one that really doesn't work and, and is, is very um very upsetting to, to people i'm conscious nick of time time oh, we've ne- never on our side <laughs> we've, we've been <laughs> we've been talking for a long time so i i feel that maybe it's it's time unless there's anything else that you wanted to 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 say i mean we will be coming back to this rest assured we will be um talking about this i think um a lot over the coming weeks so i suppose just to to draw a, a conclusion here i think um you know, when when the crisis started back in March, June seemed like a long way away, didn't it? And you know, now we're at the end of June, and we don't really—I don't feel like we're we're looking at getting back to pre-crisis normality, as it were. And I think that any suggestion that there is a a, a return to normal as we have understood it in the past, before the year end, before you know, a year, is really a feasible um, suggestion. And, and you know, as we're starting to see those glimmer of hopes as sectors are starting to be able to open from from Saturday, um, I think we have to be quite cautious that um, although businesses are able to open, lots of business owners are saying they don't see how they will make any money from opening. The furlough scheme is being scaled back over the um, the coming months, and so I think we are going to see much more um, cash strapped. Um, difficulties as 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 the year wears on. So, uh, as ever, I think we're we're saying you really need to be on top of individual risks. You need to understand for your businesses where your critical risks are. And I think the idea you can look at every single risk in your book and really analyze them, you know, is for the birds, isn't it? So I think you know, looking at those really understanding your business and understanding where the the kind of key pressure points are um, is just more important than than ever. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much, Nick, for for joining us Um, again. Thank you all to to listening. We will try and and put some of those um, links out that we mentioned and and some of the research. We'll we'll tidy up that and um, and make that available as well. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 